friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. in a series called God Comes Where He's Wanted. It comes out of a, a series that one of Jonathan's close friends, who's a pastor in New York City, he actually uh, had a series similar to this, but Jonathan had this vision and talked to the staff about it of like, what if we preached revival moments over the course of history where God and his power was manifest over a people in a specific time, and then we just pray for it? And what if we get these easels set up around the sanctuary and we just invite people to come up every time they're in the church and write down the names of those who are prodigals in their life? And if you were to go in our prayer room right now, the walls are covered in sheets. We have over a thousand names written. A thousand names of people uh, that God is powerfully pursuing in this time of Lent that we at least believe. So we're going to continue to pray for those. We've got a 24-hour prayer thing going for Lent and uh, just really excited to see what God does. So we're going to hit the ground running. We're going to read a lot of scripture. Please grab a Bible. I have it up here. I don't know how big the text is, so it might be easier on the eyes to have a, an actual Bible in front of you or a tablet. This is 2024, after all. Um, and then, yeah, read a lot of scripture, maybe have some points coming off that, and then we're going to pray. God's going to move. Today we're talking about, uh, I, I don't title sermons usually, but um, I titled this one, Seek, Consecrate, Revive. Seek, Consecrate, Revive. And this, this story is all uh, coming out of Second Chronicles 34, if you want to turn there. It's about King Josiah and what happened in Judah and surrounding Israel during his reign. Let's get in it. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor David. If you open the Pew Bible, you'll actually see his father David, which is really, really amazing because his father Ammon was a terrible king who continued in the way of idolatry, and his grandfather Manasseh was one of the worst kings that that Judah, Israel, ever had. He repented at the end of his life, shows that the the grace of our God that we serve, but also shows the severity of how God opposes false idols and what it does to his creation, to his people. So, I love that little note, his father David. We're connecting Josiah with David, King David. He did not turn away from uh, doing what was right. During the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he's 16 years old, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor David. Then in the twelfth year, 
he began to purify Judah and Jerusalem, destroying all the pagan shrines, the Asherah poles, and the carved idols and cast images. He ordered that the altars of Baal be uh, demolished, and the incense altars which stood above them be broken down. He also made sure that the Asherah poles, the carved idols, the cast images were smashed and scattered over the graves of those who sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of pagan priests on their own altars, and so he purified Judah and Jerusalem. This dude's a maniac. I love it. He did the same thing in the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, even as far as Nephtali and the regions all around them. He destroyed the pagan altars and the Asherah poles, and he crushed the idols into dust. He cut down the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Finally, he returned to Jerusalem. Just a quick note. I didn't have this written down. Just a quick note. This guy becomes king and sets out as an eight-year-old, seeks after God, and this, on his 16th birthday, he's like, you know what we're doing? I'm going all-out war, but we're not leaving the borders of Judah. The territory that I govern, I'm going on all-out war, on idolatry set up. The point I was going to make, this guy was a maniac. <laughs> what a transition. <laughs> and... Uh, and he made sure that everything under his uh, reign, whatever his father and grandfather did, he went on a mission, an absolute mission, to set the record straight. I think there's something really powerful in that. We'll get, we'll get back into uh, verses 6 through 8. It's up on the screen. The 18th year of his reign, this is Josiah, after he had purified the land and the temple, Josiah appointed Shaphan, son, uh, son of Azza, all these names, Azaliah, Maasiah, the governor of Jerusalem, and Joah, son of Joahaz, the royal historian, to repair the temple of the Lord, his God. I love the ownership there. This is his God. Israel has been wayward. Josiah has rediscovered the God of his ancestors, and he's going wholeheartedly after him and making these reforms. Now, there's three movements in this, this first passage. The first is Josiah sought the God of his father David. The second, Josiah purified the land and the temple. Lastly, Josiah began to repair the temple. And when I was reading through these three movements that Josiah does in the beginning, it couldn't help but just think about this. Seek, consecrate, revive. i make one quick point here. Oftentimes, and if you've been in this community for a while, you've heard us talk about revival for like four or five years, and you're like, will you think of something else to talk about, please? <laughs> Oftentimes... When our hearts are set on revival, our minds go to immediately thinking about that last point. Let's repair the temple. Let's repair the broken church in the West. It's so broken. Let's, let's, we got we to gotta fix it. It's a natural human tendency to grab onto something and try to fix it with your own power. And what I'm here to tell you guys and what this story illuminates is it begins, revival begins with wholeheartedly seeking after God. 
That's where revival begins. When a group of God's people come together and seek him with everything. Second, they consecrate their lives to him fully. Those are the things that we can control. Seeking after God, consecrating our lives to him. We cannot bring revival. It's impossible. Revival ends when human beings get their hands on it. So, in another way of saying that, there is no Disney fast pass to revival. And shame on us for thinking revival's one good church service that went 30 minutes over time. Yeah, I missed my brunch, but that sermon was on, on, the po- on point, on the money. Man, revival's hit our place. And we forget about what we even talked about. Revival's when the manifest presence of God comes on a territory. His power's displayed, demonstrated in ways that we've never seen. So, we are incapable of performing part three. The power of revival only belongs to God. He is the reviver, but we can participate in the first two steps, seeking him wholeheartedly and giving everything of ourselves to him and his kingdom. Let's jump into the next little part. Second Chronicles. When Josiah the king heard what was written in the law, he tore his clothes in despair. Go to the temple and speak to the Lord for me and for all the remnant of Israel and Judah. Inquire about the words written in the scroll that has been found. For the Lord's great anger has been poured out on us because our ancestors have not obeyed the word of the Lord. We have not been doing everything this scroll says we must do. I'm fast forwarding here a little bit. She, the prophet Huldah, said to them, The Lord, the God of Israel, has spoken. Go back, to, uh, go back and tell the man who sent you. This is what the Lord says. I'm, bring, I'm going to bring disaster on the city and its people. All the curses written in the scroll that was read to the king of Judah will come true. For my people have abandoned me and offered sacrifices to pagan gods. And I'm very angry with them. For everything they have done. My anger will be poured out on this place. But, I love that but, because that's not very encouraging, is it? But, go to the king of Judah who sent you to seek the Lord and tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the message you have just heard. You were sorry and humbled yourself and tore your clothing in despair and wept before me in repentance. And I have indeed heard you says the Lord. So I will not send the promised disaster until after you've died and been buried in peace. You, will, you yourself will not see the disaster I am going to bring on the city and its people. So they took her message back to the king. Josiah was a king who followed. This is all before he discovers the book of the law. These are his like qualifications. Followed in the same footsteps as David. Never turned from doing right declares nuclear war on former idolatry of the nation he is in charge of. He tears down the shrine, smashes the Asherah poles, destroys the altars. When, he, uh, when finished with the compa- campaign, he sets out to restore the temple of his God since it had been ab- abandoned uh, by its former uh, leaders, which it lost its original purpose and became unrecognizable of its former glory. This is a man on a mission from God, yet the moment he hears the words of God's law read, he weeps and tears his clothes. 
He was not self-justified. Josiah was not self-justified. He wasn't like, man, look at all of what was said in that. Am I not doing this, God? Come on. I'm, I checked out. I'm pretty good. I'm covered. The rest of you guys, I don't know. I'm good. I mean, he's even told by the prophet Holda, you're okay. You're good. You won't see this destruction. And in that moment, complacency can set in. Complacency can set in. No, he was not someone who questioned, have I not served God faithfully? He was someone who was broken at the word of God. He was upset that they were not following everything that, this, that the scroll uncovered in the temple had said. Everything. Reminds me of Psalm 51. You do not desire a sacrifice where I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Oh God. Guys, as I'm praying through this, I, I feel like the enemy has found his way in the church and has made us blind to the planks in our own eye. We've been too preoccupied with comparing ourselves to the world that we have forgotten the one we live for. We're not judged by how we look compared to the world. We're judged by how much we look like our Father in Heaven. That is how the church is judged. That is, how, that is the standard for God's people. Do they reflect my image? Do they bear my image? And instead, we've been worried about comparing ourselves to the world. No power there. You want to know why there's no power there? 2 Corinthians 4 talks about broken vessels in which God's glory desires to birth, uh, birth, burst forth from. Out of broken clay jars, his glory inhabits and it shines. But what we've done in the church, thus removing the power of God, is we've put duct tape over those cracks and holes to make ourselves presentable to the world. And you know what the world sees? Broken jars with duct tape on them. They don't see the glory of God. It's the brokenhearted and the broken-spirited that are the vessels in which God's presence and power wants to be demonstrated through. And we as a church need to get back like Josiah to where we hear his words read and we're not self-justified in our own minds, but we say, God, I'm not following everything you're asking me to do. And we get in our face and we weep. We cry out to him and say, have mercy on me, Lord Jesus. Have mercy on me. And guess what? We're met by a merciful, compassionate God who loves us. And says, yes, the sins of the father may be carried out to the third and fourth generation, but in one generation that turns himself back towards me and recognizes its brokenness, I'll, I'll flip it for a thousand. And we're worried about the three and four. When if we get in our face and recognize the brokenness in our spirit, God's power would be demonstrated in our day. Our appearances, our appearances and actions do not make us beautiful and glorious. It is the one who indwells us that makes us beautiful and glorious. Amen?
Last part of this story. Then the king summoned all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people. Just get ready to hear the word all every a lot. (laughs) All the people of Judah and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the Levites, all the people from greatest to the least. There the king read to them in the the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. Quick point on this. God is not asking you to bring revival for the sake of everyone else. He wants you fully consumed. All the authority that you have, surrender that over to him and his ways. Don't surrender your neighbor's ways over to him. Stop worrying about other people and get in his presence and say, Lord, I surrender everything, all of my authority to you. Lance Humphrey says it best. You want revival? Go into your prayer closet, draw a circle around you, and pray that revival comes and fills that circle. And when it does, then go out. Not to tell other people about it, but to exist from that place of dependency on the Spirit of God and His power, His light. That's how we become salty. All of our authority, let us be the ones who stand and say, with everything I have, I'm giving it to you, God. In the presence of people, I don't care how they react. My heart is yours, fully. There the king read to them, I'm going back a verse, there the king read to them the entire book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. The king took his place of authority beside the pillar and renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands, laws, and decrees with all his heart and soul. He promised to obey all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll. And he required everyone in Jerusalem and the people of Benjamin to make a similar pledge. The people of Jerusalem did so, renewing their covenant with God, the God of their ancestors. And listen to this. So a little cap on the story here. So Josiah removed all detestable idols from the entire land of Israel and required everyone to worship the Lord their God. And throughout the rest of his lifetime, they, Israel, they did not turn away from the Lord, the God of their ancestors. I think it's D.L. Moody that says the world's still waiting to see what a fully devoted man can do. And then I think he follows that quote up. I butchered that quote, by the way. But um, it was way cooler when he said it. Uh, He finishes and said, Lord, may I be that man. Josiah did that. He said, I'll do it. And the, the whole of Israel experienced the brightest moment until the coming of Christ himself. There is no shiny moments in Israel from this point on. There's exile. There's oppression. There's some messianic figures that rise up. They're killed. Stomped out. More oppression. And then God himself comes. I said it before. Josiah was a consecration maniac. Crazy. He was serious. I just have this question. If God comes where he's wanted, how do we show him that we want him? 
How do we show them? We want you here. In this heart, in this place, in this city, in this state, in the prison down the street? How? Total obliteration of idols. I know that sounds intense, but that's what consecration is. Total obliteration of idols. The band can come back up here. Again. Guys, I've been terrible on the remote here. It requires all, everything, the entirety. It involves everyone. It is a holistic thing to set our lives on God coming in power. And I believe that that will happen. I believe God comes in power. He honors faith. He always does. Find me, find me a, a place in the Gospels where Jesus says, I see your faith, but I'm not going to do that. Find me a promise in the Old Testament where God says, if you, if you, now there's qualifications, of course. If you humble yourselves and come back to me, will I not pour out my presence and restore you to your former glory? Guys, the former glory that I'm talking about is not our former glory as a nation. It's not our former glory as our reputation as it's been tarnished over the years. It's nothing about us. It, the former glory that we hold fast to is the living God who wants to live in us. He wants to move through us. But it requires all, everything, everyone. If we want to see God move in power, it begins with taking his ways and his words seriously. So just three invitations here. Begin, seek him in all the areas of your life. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. All these things will be added to you. Seek him in all the areas of your life. Are there areas in your life where you've put the Holy Spirit on mute? Oof. I know there's places where I have. Seek him in all the areas of your life. And if you're in here and you're like, I've never even sought after God. The invitation here this morning to go on that journey. Josiah becomes king at eight. He seeks after the God of his ancestors for eight years. Eight years of seeking before he takes action. Guys, I want to invite you in on a journey to seek God. When we seek him, he will reveal himself. after him come on let's run but I want to invite you consecrate everything in your life to him in his ways all of ourselves every bit the mundane the insignificant the brokenness 2 Corinthians 4 you want his glory to shine through you let him shine through the brokenness Consecrate your life to him. It's an invitation 
That's all conviction is. Conviction is different than consecration, but it leads us in to consecration. All conviction is, is not holding your feet to the fire, saying you're going to burn if you don't. That's not conviction. Conviction is an invitation to step back into the light where you belong. That's conviction. Step back in the light. You belong here in front of me. It's the garden. Where are you? You're supposed to be right here. That's conviction. We should welcome it. Yeah, it's hard. Death sucks. But resurrection's on the other side for those who call Christ Lord. Consecrate everything to him. And I promise you, I promise you, he'll come in power. He'll come in power. If you consecrate these names that we've written and that we're praying for, what would happen if everyone here consecrated your life fully to God? Would they not know? Would they not notice a difference? Would they not notice power? Guys, there's stories already welling up in this church of people who are like, no chance these people are coming here. Multiple stories of people finding their way back home. Answering the call from their creator, this is where you belong. If you're one of those people, I don't know, I don't know, I, I don't know any of the names that that have, have come back, but if you're one of those people this morning, seek after him, consecrate everything to him, because you belong to live in his light. And lastly, watch everyone be swept up in revival as he comes. Again, we can control one and two. We cannot control three. But if we do one and two, I promise you, he'll respond in power. And he receives all the glory for it. Amen. I'm going to invite our prayers to come down here. We're going to pray. just to say, Lord, I consecrate everything to you here. Come do it. If you need to come up to the altar, just be like, I have nowhere, I, I don't know where to look for you, God. I'm going to begin my journey of seeking you right here at the altar. Come down. We'll have prayer team up uh, as well. I'm actually going to invite you guys to stand up for this prayer time. Let's get engaged with our posture. Oh, Lord, we see... We've read the stories. We've experienced goodness ourselves. But God, we ask that you would come in power in our lives, power in our families, power in our communities and neighborhoods, schools. That you would come in power. In Oklahoma City, 
because there's a place in Oklahoma City where your people gather and they're serious about seeing your, your, your power come. Let that be said of us. Would it be said of us that we're the ones that the Methodists were made fun of? John Wesley, before he sent out on his mission, was made fun of because they took God too seriously. What can happen when a church takes God and his word too serious? Revival. That's what comes, not legalism. That's man-made. So we relinquish everything at your feet, King Jesus. We get at your feet, King Jesus. Break our jars, the things we hold dearest in our lives. We break those jars at your feet, King Jesus, and we'll sit there and linger in your presence, knowing that you have the power to bring all these prodigals home, that you have the power to pour out your spirit in these days as you've done in the days prior. Lord, I'm a broken vessel. who's tried too often to put duct tape on my cracks so that I'd be accepted by man. But God, I, I rip the duct tape off this morning in your presence and say, fill me and shine through me, God. The world doesn't need Chase Dewey. The world needs you, needs Jesus. So come in power. Pray that in your name. The Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. His lightning lights up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord. Before the Lord of all the earth, the heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all people see his glory. For you, Lord, are most high above all the earth. You are exalted above all gods. Jesus, that is who you are. Remind us again. You are the name above all names. The great I am. Yet we have chosen to go our own way. And as Jeremiah says, Has a nation ever changed its gods? But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. We have forsaken you, the spring of living water, and instead have dug our own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. We have chased after other things. We have lost our awe for you. We confess we have grown accustomed to going our own way, running our own lives, making our own choices, striving for what we want, what we desire, with little thought of you or your ways or your perfect will for our lives. We have been deceived. We think, look, look at our successful lives. Look what we have built. 
We think we've got it figured out as if the ultimate goal in life is to simply achieve a successful American life, to be a winner. Day after day, we strive for things of this world, the offerings of this world. We strive for peace, but only our own peace, a personal peace built on circumstances that we can control, where everything goes our way, where our desires are met and we are happy because we get what we want. We have turned our hearts and desires away from you and put our trust in man and our own efforts. Even when we seek after you, we are relying on our own efforts, trying so hard to do the right things, to do the Christian things, to make you happy with us so that you will give us what we want. Lord, we're tired, tired and thirsty. Help us to lay down our striving. Help us to put on your yoke us to put on your ways to step into the life that you have for us to step back into the light remind us that you are the living water that you can satisfy our thirst remind us that we are already favored and blessed remind us that we are your children that you sing over us Turn to us the joy of your salvation. Help us to look to you, to have the awe again. Give us the awe back. Help us to turn our thoughts, our desires, our attentions, our loves back to you. God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips glorify you. I will praise you as long as I lived, and in your name I lift up my hands. Lord, we pray for our prodigals. We acknowledge and confess that we too are prodigals. Although we declare your name, we exchange your glory for idols, for the things of this world. In many ways, our lives look no different than the prodigals we're praying for. So we don't want to pray that we would simply claim to believe in you. We want so much more. So much more for them, so much more for us. We want them and us to taste your goodness, to have an authentic experience with your love and your presence, that we would know deep, deep, deep in our souls that you are real, that you love us, that you created us for a purpose, that you were always with us and for us and have our best interests at heart. Jesus, I know that you are the only one with the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? Where else can we go? So do a new thing in us. Put a new song in our hearts in whatever way that looks like. Give us a fresh taste, a fresh experience with you. Give us a drink of your living water. Restore and untangle our souls.
will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Jesus, we long to seek you. We long to find you. We long for you to have our heart, all of it. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for when I put the things of this world in the hurry above you. I'm sorry for picking up my phone before I even get to thank you for being here. For being so caught up in the world that I put you as my very last priority. Jesus, you deserve so much more. But all you ask of me is to seek you. To seek you with all of my heart. That's all I have to do to find you. You're not far. You're so close. All we have to do is slow down and take everything away. And you're right there, Jesus. You are worth my time. You are worth every second of the early morning that I choose you. You give me way more than those 30 minutes of sleep will. So I choose you. I choose to seek you with all my heart. I lean into what you have for me, Jesus. I need you. I need you more than I even know. I pray that I can be like Mary and give everything I have to you. To pour my perfume of doubt, hurt, anxiety, fear, loss, jealousy, control, shame, all at your feet. Jesus, reveal in my heart what my perfume is, what I need to let go and give you full control of so that you can fill me up. These worldly things leave me empty time and time again, Jesus. So fill my heart. Fill my heart with you so that I can overflow with you in my life. Jesus, I pray for my generation. I long from the deepest part of my heart for us to seek you. I pray that you capture the hearts in the darkness and show them your light. I pray that we can trust you and fully walk with you so that you can use us. We want to change the view of it's whatever I want, it's whatever I want to do, to it's whatever you want, Jesus. It's, it's your life. I'm just here. My life is yours. It's all yours, Jesus. Take away the darkness and give our generation your light. Show them who you are and tell them they are not alone. That, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made by you. That the things that they tell themselves are not true. They are believing lies of the devil. Give them truth, Jesus. Find them in the darkness. Find them in the scrolling on their phone. Find them in the hallways, Jesus. Show them who you are. Help me be a servant and use me to show your light, Jesus. I pray for a fresh wind. Jesus, pour your spirit out. Fan us into flame, Jesus. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and you did not let my enemy glow over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. Brought me up from the realm of death, and you spared me from going down to the pit. Seeing the praises of the Lord, you, his faithful people, praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I feel secure, I said, I will never be shaken, Lord. When you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. 
What is gained if I am silenced? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it pro proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. That my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing and you clothed me with joy. My heart will sing your praises forever and ever. Lord, I pray of the lost and confused, the hearts that are stuck chasing after wind. I pray for revival. I ask you, Jesus, to revive our world. I pray your spirit leads the lost to your kingdom. Use us, Jesus. Help us be bold. Help us find your voice and say yes to you. Help us hear the difference from your voice and the enemy. Jesus, you are so good. Thank you for who you are. In the grace of your heart, Jesus. I want to be more and more like you every day. Fill me with your fruit and help me live a life that honors and gives glory to you. Let me find my rest and my comfort in you. You are who you say you are, Lord. I will praise you forever. and come down. Heaven is your throne and earth is your footstool. Oh, that you would step down and take the center stage of our lives, of this city, of the world, Lord. That you would be a beacon of hope. You alone are God in heaven. The one who made the heavens and the earth by your great power, by your outstretched arm, by your word. Nothing is too hard for you. You are wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of your government and of peace, there will be no end. We know who you are. We know what you can do. If you can feed a nation in the desert with bread from heaven and water from the rock, you can bring home every lost sheep, every friend, every child, every loved one. Nothing is too hard for you. If you can deliver a nation from oppression, you can deliver your people, every prodigal we've brought before you and more from the tyranny of sin and misery and loneliness and hunger. Nothing is too hard for you. If you can defeat death forever, you can raise every dead, apathetic, lukewarm, tired, weary, lost heart. You've done it before in me. So do it again. Nothing is too hard for you. Your arm is not too short, and your power has not decreased. Your faithfulness has not failed. says, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of his lips. Peace, peace,
east to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. And again, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. These aren't our words, Lord, but yours. These are your promises. So in accordance with your word, would you bring home the prodigals? Even the sparrow finds a home at your altars, O Lord. You are our king and our God, so do it again, Jesus. Bring home the prodigals. Do it again, Jesus.